Hey super friends and welcome to the 26th episode of the Geico podcast with me, Neil, and my good friend Martin. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. We are back a little later than planned this week because of a fun little event that we're going to tell you about shortly. What we got coming up in this week's episode? I don't know. You don't know anything? It's behind me again. It's actually not. The white not? Oh. No, the whiteboard behind you still says uh, Beetlejuice, Raven, Titans, episode 204 to 207, Control, which we didn't talk about, Terminator, Dark Fate, and MCM London. Oh, That well, was last time. Well, we're in for an adventure today. <laughs> it's a mystery. Um, I'm going to tell you about Doctor Sleep, which is a film I went to see what feels like ages ago now, but we can talk about because it it's now out. We've got episodes... 8 and 9 and 10 of Titans. Oh no, it was a question mark. We did talk about 8 last time because we'd seen it. We're going to talk about 9 and 10. Um, we're also going to touch on a bit of Batwoman. Yay. <laughs> uh, and our feelings on the first four or five episodes of that one. But I don't mean like individual reviews. We're just going to talk about what we think about the show so far in its first few weeks. Oh, thank God. I'm going to talk about a comic. You're going to talk about a comic. Uh, yeah so prepared for that because we haven't touched on a comic book in about three weeks three episodes even sorry uh we haven't really done comic books apart from i obviously did a bit on raven last time but we haven't done our usual sort of comic book coverage for a little while we've got a little discussion topic which you probably don't even know about because i bet you didn't see it on twitter did you it's just the what's your scary movie yes no what's your favorite scary movie yes. not what's your scary movie no that was silly have you had to think about what your favourite scary movie might be? I'll have a think about it just now. <laughs> um, and then obviously we're going to... So, I picked out a few stories from the last couple of weeks that I thought might be interesting to talk about. First one is a little Star Wars story. So, in the last couple of weeks, we found out that the Game of Thrones executive producers and writers, um, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, have dropped out of the planned trilogy that they had for Star Wars. They had been announced, I think, before the final season of Game of Thrones, that they were going to be working on some future Star Wars projects. During the final season of Game of Thrones, it was then announced that they'd signed a deal with Netflix, and now they've said that because of the Netflix deal... They can't continue with Star Wars, so they've dropped out. Not exactly news that people have been sad about, though. Why ever not? The final season of Game of Thrones? Yeah, that's fair enough. It's interesting, because I think it kind of encapsulates the way the internet works these days. That they did, you know, five or six seasons of Game of Thrones that were really well-received then one or two seasons that were slightly less well received and so therefore people don't want them to touch any major franchise with a barge pole because they think it's going to be awful. They're going to make everybody the Mad Queen in the last minute. <laughs> it, but do you not think... It's almost like Jeff Johns being in front of DC Films. People completely forgot that he did years of amazing comic books because he was a name behind a couple of films that weren't very well received and now... He doesn't. He's not active on social media. He's not part of DC particularly anymore. He's just a very quiet, very much in the background writer. These two guys 
created what for a lot of people will be their favorite tv show of all time but also created a season that most people don't really like and therefore it's kind of ruined them for a while yeah it's a shame really all that pressure just on one one last series i think the question that kind of hangs over it for me is i wonder if they i wonder if disney there's two ways it could go disney decided they didn't want them anymore which would be quite harsh and unfounded or and this is possibly the worst one of the two they didn't feel that they could do it anymore because they were too scared of touching another major franchise if you're doing something original people will judge you a little bit less they'll judge you on whether that is good or not not roast you for completely ruining something that they think is their favorite thing I mean, it's a big thing to mess around with. I mean, look at the last Star Wars film. Ryan Johnson's? Yeah. You don't want to be touching around and messing things up when it's such a beloved franchise. It's difficult. Everyone has their idea and their two cents as to what they think it should be. And then when someone comes along with their idea, if it doesn't match with your idea, it's suddenly not right. Whereas it's not potentially not right, it's just someone else's interpretation. But that's not what the internet's for these days. No. So apparently the the franchise that they were working on was going to be set around the time that the Jedi first came about and was going to be about how the Jedi first came to be. And so it sounded like it could have been quite interesting, but at the same time doesn't sound too far away from Game of Thrones. Only in terms of if you think about it as the beginning of a legend. Yeah, well... No. No? Well, not like current Game of Thrones. I mean, if you're thinking yeah. about the new Game of Thrones spin-off, then yes. I, no, I, so I'm thinking of it as, like, they're obviously thinking of some epic tale of good versus evil that brought about the beginning of the dark side and the light side of the Force and some kind of power struggle, and then it becomes not unlike a bunch of people vying for the throne, in a way. Slightly tangential, I can just see that it could have been a little bit similar in a way. Maybe. Oh, so are we sad that they're no longer making a Star Wars film or trilogy? Not really, to be honest with you. Okay. I'm a bit in, yeah. I'm a bit indifferent. It'll get made either way. So. Well, no, it won't. Because oh, that's it. Not, okay. No, that that franchise is dead with them. They were writing it. They're not anymore. So it's it wasn't something that they were directing. They were creating a series for Star Wars. But that's it. Done. Oh, well, then that is sad. Well, I'm glad you've changed your tune on that one. Uh, right. Next news story for this week another new Arrowverse show so not Green Arrow and the Canaries but another show which is in development which is going by the name of Superman and Lois Oh, that's starring exciting. Tyler Hecklin and uh, Bitsy Tulloch for a minute there that sign was for Green Arrow and the Canaries and the Canaries yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know, it's Superman I'm very excited put your Mia Smoke back in the box uh, so this is the news that Tyler Hecklin and Bitsy Tulloch are going to be working on a show starring Superman and Lois, with both names in the title as well. And it's not a rumour, it is confirmed that they're working on it because both the actors have discussed it publicly and on social media. Um, it's not got a series order, I'm presuming it's just pilot production at the moment and then they'll put it to the network and they'll decide. But as far as we know to this day they've never turned down an Arrowverse series, so presumably this time next year we may be looking at premiere of Superman and Lois. Well, I mean, if they've accepted a Mia Smoke show. <laughs> well, actually, technically, Mia Smoke show doesn't have a series either. It's a backdoor pilot, which is going to be either the second to last episode of Arrow or somewhere right towards the end. Oh, so it's not confirmed to have a, a run? 
No, when I say it doesn't have a series order, that means nada, nada, not picked up yet. Only a pilot. There's still hope yet, then. There's still hope that it dies on its ass. Whenever you say backdoor pilot, this makes me think of Golden Girls. The thing for me is it's interesting how it might affect Supergirl. I'm not averse to saying Superman could replace Supergirl. (gasps) Well, we're not. This series has not been great. I don't know. I mean, I've got high hopes because the end of the second half of last series was so good. And we are building towards Leviathan. And apparently this week's episode really, really shows off Leviathan and brings that through as being the big bad. The big bad is not Lena. Lena is going to be there as a foil, but um, it will eventually become Leviathan that's the big bad. So, the, I mean, you're right. It was a lot better in the second half of last season than the first half. But I hate the first half of this season so far. Oh, technology, you're my friend. Oh, it's just... No one understands me but you. It's really sloppily written and it's really lazily acted. And in fact, it's even really poorly made at this point with some of the CGI, which is now becoming mocked. It's not... It's... Oh, God, not the click and drag. But but this is the problem. I mean, people will say what they will say, that you, you know, watch it for the characters, you watch it for the storylines, you watch it for whatever, that you don't necessarily tune in to see Hollywood-style effects. But... I'm very much of the mind that if you're making a program that has a specific budget, you need to try and play to the budget and do the best you can. So cheap effects that they've been using in this are not going to wash with people who are watching it and, you know, thinking about what they're watching. And you would never say that any of the Arrowverse shows have been the hugest budget programs, but we've never laughed at them unless they've been doing something funny. Even Legends of Tomorrow will scrimp and do things as best they can by saving money and you know nate doesn't always turn into captain captain steel citizen steel that's what i'm trying to say um because they don't promoted them yeah they don't necessarily have the budget for it but no one has ever sort of publicly mocked one of these shows in the press for being poorly made and that is now where supergirl is which is not great i mean somebody i mean you would have think somebody in the office would be like, oh, you can't really do that. I mean, you've just clicked and dragged her. Yeah. I mean, they anyway. wouldn't even do that in Series 1 of Doctor Who, would they? We're here to talk about Superman, not Supergirl. Oh, yes, of course. But I, yeah, I, I would not be averse to them replacing it. But the thing is, and this is what this was my point, sorry, was that they've now done a hell of a lot of things that you would do on a Superman show with Supergirl. And they've now, in Season 5, got her paired up with, with William, the English reporter guy. And that's it's a reverse Lois and Clark. The hero is the is the female character, and the reporter is a male character. It's a complete flip on Lois and Clark. So they they they've become essentially gender swapped of the same people, which is no bad thing. But do you really want to see two shows on the same network from the same people, so similar in style, with two characters with the same power set? The only difference is one is male, one is female. I, I don't know that there's room for both. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I suppose I could always combine them together and it'd be the soups, the soups show. The super hour. Super friends. Yeah. Or, you know, they just kill her off at crisis. <laughs> well, uh, Superman should die in crisis and she's taking half his storyline, so you never know. Um, maybe she's fed up with it and secretly that's what's going to happen and they're going to kill her off and that'll be a big shock. Um, uh, I don't think so. No. I At the moment, and this kind of goes with the fact that I'm not overly happy that they've Batwoman onto a full season from rather than kind of doing a 13 episode order is I think they need to cut the seasons down saturating the market a bit well if you think about it 
back in the days when we used to watch Buffy and Angel, a 22 episode season was great and you loved it. And if it was any shorter than that, you'd be a bit like, mm, British programs really disappoint me because they're only six or eight episodes. But in a world of sort of Netflix and Disney Plus and DC Universe and everything else, short, very high quality, high budget seasons work. So if they have, I don't know, 20 million to make a series of Arrow and that's spread over 22 episodes. That's why these 10 episodes suddenly look a lot better because they're using whatever budget they've been given in a shorter amount of time. If you can get the same money and make less episodes for it, then you make a bigger, you know, a better looking program. I think it would hold my attention a bit more if it was a bit shorter. Yeah. I don't think I can stomach a full 22 series of Flash. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we're, we're, we're digressing, digressing massively. Um, this is a very long news hour. Interesting that, yeah, there is, yeah, like, it's like panorama. <laughs> uh, interesting that they put Lois in the title. I quite like that. Uh, possibly puts some major weight on its shoulders that it needs to live up to a previous programs with Lois's name in the title. You'll never repeat Lois and Clark: New Adventures of Superman. So, it's some big shoes to fill. And considering we've only seen him in what two or three episodes and we've only seen her in a couple of episodes as well it's a uh, it's going to be a, a big deal to try and do something like that but i hope it goes to series and does this mean if it goes to series that we're sort of superman movies off the table oh i don't know because in theory there's still a supergirl movie on the table they've been talking for a long time about the fact that they're quietly producing a supergirl movie so they seem more open to characters being on the big screen on the small screen we've got a bruce wayne that's you know, we've got a Robert Pattinson and we've got an Ian Glenn. So they don't seem to be completely against it. But I think this, if this comes to happen, then I do think we won't see Superman on the big screen for a little while. Which is not, I'm not really sad about that, to be honest. <sighs> Controversial. Why not? I just feel like we've seen a lot of Superman on the big screen. We could do with a bit of a rest. It's interesting that you say that, though, because when you think about it, we've only had him in three films in the last sort of five, six years. Before that was a relatively large gap between that and Superman Returns. And there was a huge gap between that and Superman 4. But it feels like he's been on the screen more. It's like people talk about Spider-Man. They say, oh, I've seen the Spider-Man origin so many times. Technically, you've actually only seen it twice. You saw it with Andrew Garfield. Toby. And before that, you saw it with Tobey Maguire. It's just perception. Food for thought. Next up is a new story that's rather close to our hearts. We launched a new website in the last two weeks. Did we? Oh yeah, we did. <laughs> what do you mean, did we? Oh, I don't know. My head's all over the place this week. It's a bit... Just in case we do continue to do this whole rambling off on a random sort of tangent. A uh, little bit tired after a DC pub quiz from last night. A um, little bit hungover. Uh, also, oh, very busy me. work days. <laughs> so... Feeling a little bit uh, on the quiet on the quiet side. Feeling a little bit on the tired side. Yes, yeah, so we celebrated Halloween in style by launching a horror website. <laughs> and this has been in the works for ages now, like May June, I think, was when we first created this thing. Uh, on the quiet, didn't tell any of you about it, and we've just been plugging away, filling it with content for the last few months. Finally, on Halloween, we put it out there. Uh, Still not sure about the little acronym, because obviously we call ourselves GEICO. That seems to be how people know us. And obviously, 
get your horror on would be like Guy Ho. Oh, like the song? No, that would be Jai Ho. Oh, but okay. I, it's in my head, that is, it's quite difficult to not do that. Yeah, I'm going to do that now. Thank you. Sorry. So if you go to www.getyourhorroron.co.uk, you now have a little resource of all things horror. Guy Ho. <laughs> Thank you. Horror, uh, horror. If you do any more than that, we have to pay for it. Oh, um, okay. Don't listen. <laughs> we decided to do that because uh, I got invited to see Brightburn earlier this year, and it was the first time I'd seen a horror film at the cinema in years, because... Why, Martin? Well, we don't, I don't do the horrors. No, exactly. So, oh, no, no, no. Presumably, at that point, it's probably the first horror film I'd seen at the cinema in about ten and a half years, because I haven't seen one the entire time that we have been together. Really? Yeah, because when would I, I? Whenever I go to the cinema on my own, it's normally to see a comic book movie on a loop. So it's been a long time since I've seen a horror. So seeing Brightburn kind of reignited my uh, love of horror movies. And then we were doing a bit of horror content on the website. People seemed to really like it. Then I brought Lucas on board, who is an old uni friend of mine, who is a horror junkie, to do horror editing. And that was our little quiet way in to running this little website so he's mainly going to be reviewing horror films new films classic films horror tv if there's big bits of horror news we'll be covering that as well on there there'll be little bits that will still be on geico as well because there's some stuff that just links like brightburn is still a comic book horror movie at the same time uh, but it will work across the two and we have a little network of websites now well a partnership technically two it's not really a network well you gotta start somewhere what did you come up with the other day that you said was next it like Gaimo, get your musical on. No. You came up with something the other day. So not get your game gaming on. Maybe it was that. Guy go. Guy go. <laughs> Maybe that will be next. <laughs> oh yeah, do that. Guy go. No, let's see. That still sound. That still sounds like the song. No, it doesn't. The little G. Now they all do. Guy go. Guy go. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. You're going to have that in your head all day now. Yeah, done. You've just... That's it. You've ruined everyone's life now. Last news story for this week is a little update on casting for The Batman. So there's been a few announcements. There's Colin Farrell, who uh, is in supposed deep talks to play Oswald Cobblepot. You've also got Andy uh, Serkis. Colin. You do a better impression than I do. Go on. That's better. Who is going to be playing Alfred, supposedly. And also the rumour that Matthew McConaughey will be Harvey Dent. You're you're pulling that face at me that says, I don't know who that is. I recognise the name. Okay. You know, I'm not very good with the names. So those are your latest casting rumours. Oh, sounds like a little uh, interest in mine. I'm not sure how I feel about Gollum as... Alfred? Alfred. I, I can just picture him in that 13 going on 30 program. <laughs> Not program, film program. Yes. Something like an old woman. Oh, I remember him in that 13 oh, going on 30. He's a lovely young man, isn't he? Obviously, he's got history with uh, with Matt Reeves, who's directing The Batman. Because, uh, yeah, you know, so Matt Reeves did the last two Planet of the Apes films, oh. which um, Andy Serkis, uh, his company, his green screen company, uh, MoCap people, did a lot of the motion capture for it. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm interested to see the thought process behind Colin Farrell as Oswald Cobblepot. An interesting choice. Yeah. Not your classic Cobblepot look. But then you wouldn't say that um, Robin Lord Taylor was your classic 
couple pot look either. Oh, from Gotham. Yeah. Well, that just doesn't count. Why doesn't that count? Because it's Gotham. <laughs> Fair enough. I think he could pull off the characteristics. I just physically would be my. I don't. I can't physically see him as as Cobblepot. I suppose it depends on what they're going to do with the character. Is that a young Cobblepot? Is that an old Cobblepot? Cobblepot. Cobblepot. <laughs> oh yes, I suppose it does depend. Um, and yeah, Andy Circus also a, a very interesting choice for an Alfred. Um, I think he could. Again, I could see him in this respect being a good Alfred from a characteristic point of view and personality, but still can't quite see him. Well, I suppose all of our Pats is quite young, so it's all yeah. going to be a younger yeah. Batman, a younger Alfs. Yeah, this is true. A younger Cobbs. The interesting thing with uh, Andy Circus is, obviously we're talking about the Batman being out in 2021, and all the rumours are that it starts filming early next year. But he has Venom 2 that he's directing next year. Andy Serkis? Yeah, he's directing Venom 2. Oh. So the question becomes, is Alfred not in this film very much? Because they, they're, they're gearing up to start production. Both films are due out in a similar sort of window. So that, as far as we're kind of concerned, both are going to be filming around the same time. And Batman should be filming here. And Venom will be filming over in America. Don't know if it'll be San Francisco again, like the setting was for the last one, but... Um, it seems difficult that he would be able to do full-time on Batman when he was full-time directing another film. That'd be interesting. I'm sure they've worked this all out. Well, for all we know, we're still looking at the kind of script that is Batman stuck in Arkham for an entire film or something like that, which might mean that Alfred is just on comms somewhere interspersed and you, you, half of it might be just his voice over a comm link. So there are plenty of ways to do it. It's just... It's interesting, the timing of it, if this is how it's going to go. <coughs> Watch this space. That is it for the news this week. I wanted to introduce just a little quick feature, which I thought might be quite interesting, which is something that we don't often hear in other podcasts that we listen to, which is to just quickly go over some of the big releases that are uh, happening in the next sort of couple of weeks. Ooh, so you're going got... to do it in like a Top of the Pops Top 10. Oh, I don't know that I can do that. I can in do... at number 10, a non-mover. <laughs> it's... It's not a chart. Oh, well, maybe it should be. Maybe, maybe we should have a chart. What's charting? I don't what? know. I don't... Well, that's what I'm saying. Maybe we should do that. <laughs> don't put me on the spot. No, I mean I mean things that are out on DVD and Blu-ray. So you've got Spider-Man Far From Home, which oh, came oh, out on do, Blu-ray. Do it in the voice that you used to get when you got a, a VHS. Coming soon to home video release. What are you doing to my new feature? So I'm jazzing it up. <laughs> You're just pooping all over it right now. Oh, it's called pizzazz. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? Pizzazz. Why aren't there jazz hands that go with that? Because I'm cold and I'm wearing a onesie. <laughs> Not that any of you can see this, obviously, because this is a podcast, but I am sat opposite a man-sized Pikachu right now. It's very warm, right? Leave me be. <laughs> right, so, Sorry. Uh, out this week, Spider-Man Far From Home is out on DVD and Blu-ray. You didn't do the voice. It's already available on digital. You've got The Lion King, which came out on digital this week and comes out on DVD and Blu-ray on the 18th of November. The remastered version of uh, Leon. I knew you were going to pull that face. You're like, that place where I get healthy lunch from. No, the classic film starring Natalie Portman. Uh, remastered version is out on digital this week. You've also got the final season of The Big Bang Theory that came out in DVD and Blu-ray this week. Coming next week, and you're going to look at me as if to say, have you got this on order? I don't. 
You've got Star Trek Discovery Season 2 is releasing on DVD and Blu-ray in the UK. I don't believe that you've not got it on I don't. I genuinely don't have it. I'm not buying it. (laughs) Well, no, because I would buy it, not you. But I haven't. Um, And then finally, also out next week on DVD and Blu-ray, you have Annabelle Comes Home. Where's she been? Well, she's been away. She's been away in a little glass cabinet. She's been away, pet. Yes, she has. Um... No, I just thought it'd be a good idea to talk about some of the things that are being released because you know this was a conversation that I had with some of the PR team at the DC thing last night is that actually a lot of the websites who cover comic books and movies and stuff like that are American they're American based look at comic book movie superhero hype CBR comicbook.com they're all American and they will cover these releases in America it's very difficult to get coverage for a UK release so I thought okay that's a thing that we can do you need to work on your voice though Coming soon, Spider-Man Far From Home. Available on DVD and Blu-ray. I can't do that all the way through. Just when you thought she was away, Annabelle comes home. She's behind you. <gasps> no, she's not. <laughs> Why did you look? I don't know. <laughs> there's nothing, there's a wall behind me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I got invited by Warner Brothers to go to the Everyman Cinema in Angel to see one of two preview screenings of this film. So it ended up being so popular that it ended up putting on a second one the night after hours. We had a um, talk from director Mike Flanagan and producer Trevor Macy. You can watch the full video of their Q&A session over on our YouTube channel. We got uh, Doctor Sleep and Shining themed cocktails, which was actually quite cool. I may have necked quite a few of those. But the the weird takeaway item for the evening was a Doctor Sleep cushion which is bright yellow. It says Doctor Sleep on one side of it, and on the other side is the poster with Ewan McGregor's face looking through the door, doing the kind of, here's Johnny, scene recreation from The Shining. Um, now, it was obviously one per person, or there was one on every seat in the cinema, but when I got home, I had two because people were leaving them behind, and we were, it's like a smash and grab to just take as many as you could. The ticket for this one was actually really cool as well because it was a, it was a key to the Overlook Hotel. So when the envelope arrived, I thought it would just be a card ticket, and it actually wasn't. It was a key to um, the the famous room, which I can't remember the number of off the top of my head, from the Overlook Hotel. But that's not what you want to hear about. You want to hear about the film. So uh, before I talk about it quickly, let's have a quick listen to the trailer. When I was a kid, there was a place. A dark place. They closed it down and let it rot. But the things that live there... They come back. How many ride the bus this far north? You're running away from something? myself, I guess. Hi. You can hear me. You're magic. Like me. I don't know about magic. I was called it The Shining. The world is a hungry place. A dangerous place. These people, they hurt people like us. These empty devils 
They'll eat for chance. And they've noticed that little girl. Doctor Sleep is directed by Mike Flanagan and is based on uh, the the book, obviously. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word book, though, uh, by Stephen King. It stars Ewan McGregor as the adult Dan Torrance, Rebecca Ferguson as Rose the Hat, Kylie Curran as Abra Stone, Cliff Curtis as Billy Freeman, and then you've got a whole bunch of really scary people who are part of the knot. So you've got Zane McLaren, Emily Allen Lind, uh, Selena or. Andus, I probably pronounced that wrong. Uh, Robert Longstreet and uh, Carol Struckian, uh, who you will know as um, Lurch from the Adams Family, the classic Adams Family films. He was in Doctor Sleep. Yeah, yeah. I th- and it sounds bad, but I didn't realise he was still alive. Oh, that's a long time ago. Yeah, I see. I always, I don't know why, but having been a kid when the Adams Family came out, I always thought of him as quite old. But no, he's he's not actually that old at all. So he was in this. So I was like, that's Lurch. <coughs> uh. So this one's been out in cinemas for a couple of weeks. So I, uh, there, there's a spoiler warning, but not a massive one. Because if you're going to see it, you've probably already seen it already. So this is, an, I would say, an emotional sequel to The Shining rather than a direct sequel in that it has characters from that film and locations from it. But it isn't necessarily the same type of film. That's very much a psychological horror this is a different type of film. It's still psychological in some respects, but it has more of a clear-cut villain, and it delves a lot more deeply into the supernatural aspects of things that you saw in The Shining. So they didn't really explain why the hotel was haunted or what those things were that were in the hotel or what powers Dan Torrance had, whereas uh, The Shining is still a a huge aspect of this film, but you, you understand more about it and... Rose the Hat, played by Rebecca Ferguson, is doing something specific around the Shining powers and is collecting them to lengthen her own life, which is why I said to you after I saw it that it's very much like a vampire movie in a way. So they're not they're not vampires, they're not called that, they don't have fangs, they're not the undead, but they are people who have passed on to a different phase of life and are can live kind of hundreds of years old by using the Shining as a way to stay alive. So they, they suck the powers out of little kids and then take it into themselves. Every time you say the shining, I just think of the shin, the shinning, the shinning from the Simpsons. Yes, I really enjoyed this film. It's slightly yeah. underperformed at the box office, which is a shame. But I think it's really good. Hugh McGregor, I thought was really good in it. I'm, I, I quite it turns out I'm quite a Hugh McGregor fan. Oh, I love Hugh McGregor. Well, it's not something that I would ever consciously say like, yeah, I really like Hugh McGregor. But I can't think of many films that I've seen him in where I've not enjoyed him. And although he's really good in this film, uh, I have to say it's Rebecca Ferguson who completely steals the show. She's amazing as Rose the Hat. 
she absolutely jumps off the screen in every single scene that she's in and she's really well realized as a character and kylie curran who is a a newcomer is she just stands up really well against two quite veteran actors in mcgregor and and ferguson she has scenes with both of them throughout the film and you wouldn't you wouldn't look at her as if she's somebody that's never really been in a film before she's there's a maturity to her character but at the same time she's she just acts very well for somebody who could easily have been dominated by a bunch of very big personalities that were around her there are some big changes from the book the whole third act is basically completely different to what happens in the book which is interesting but what mike flanagan explained during the q a session was that this film is a mix of three different bits of source material so you've got the shining original novel you've got the novel of uh, dr sleep but also he's very much inspired by stanley kubrick so it's it's changed and adapted to still be in the world of the shining film at the same time so there's some tweaks to the book to make it fit with the shining film which was obviously tweaked from that book as well so that's why the overlook hotel is back because it doesn't exist in the book it's been demolished but spoiler alert it still exists in the film there are a couple of twists that i wasn't so keen on the ending uh the actual ending itself is is quite drastically different and i wasn't quite sure how i felt about it but it, it works in the context of the film it's not bad it's just different and is maybe not quite as successful as the way the book ends but the thing that stood out to me most of watching it is the the kind of the reverence for both kubrick and king so Flanagan is a big fan of both and he explained that he had screened the film for the the Kubrick estate so you know his his family and the people that look after his estate had seen it and they'd given it their approval and Stephen King had also seen it and given it his approval as well now Stephen King hates The Shining he hates that film he doesn't think it's a good adaption of his book whatsoever and he's very vocal about how much he doesn't like it so for him to say that he liked this despite it still trying to honor the film at the same time is quite good but there's some if you go and watch the video that's over on youtube there's so much that mike flanagan can tell you about what he did to recreate some of the scenes and some of the shots you would almost think that there are scenes that are in doctor sleep which are footage from the shining but there's only three shots in the whole film which are kubrick's everything else is a complete recreation and it's really lovingly done and it's very impressive what are your scores on the doors um i will tell you now what i reviewed this as Gripped on them. So I gave this film an 8 out of 10. I said Doctor Sleep is a truly unique piece of film created with a strong reverence for both Kubrick and King. It honours both but never imitates either one. Instead, this is director Mike Flanagan being given the keys to a sandbox he was born to play in. 8 out of 10. Keys to a sandbox, see? I had the thesaurus out that I day. I was going to say. Right, I think I'm going to throw it over to you to talk about comic book. What are you telling us about for uh, for your comic book pick this week, young sir? Oh, yes. Well, you're in for a treat. If you can hear a purring, that's the cat in my lap. It's not me. So my comic book for this week is... You've caught me off guard because I haven't really prepared. I apologise now. But I did read the latest Justice League Dark yesterday. And I know I've spoken about this before, but I'm really, really, really enjoying this series. I thought you were going to pick Deceased. You know, I did think about that, but I haven't got it downloaded on my iPad. Um, and I thought, oh, we must talk about Deceased because I really like that. But then I thought you were going to talk about that. So. No, I'm just going to point out that I did send you, because I'm trying to be more prepared, I did send you uh, This Is What We're Doing This Week on Wednesday last week for you to prepare. Yeah, but that was a long time ago. Okay, oh, we'll carry on, sorry. 
Yes, yeah, so before I was so rudely interrupted. Uh, Justice League Dark. So this is issue 16 now. And again, it's the continued works of Mr. Tynan the Fourth, who we walked past at New York Comic Con. We very, did. Very exciting. So, I mean, if, if you've been reading Justice League Dark, this is a really nice... It's quite a long story. So it started off, if you think, way back to number one when we brought in The Witching Hour and the links in with Wonder Woman. It feels like so long ago. And that was a long time ago. And then it sort of delved onto the sort of the the war of the order of fates and things but we've come sort of like 360 right back to the witching hour again and it turns out that there has been a storyline that's slowly been bubbling away throughout the whole series even though the story's changed quite a bit oh really we've come back to the original concept which i've really enjoyed so essentially all the stuff with hecate and the witching hour that's all resurfaced again and we've got we found out who the other kind is so this so when the source wall was brought down this other kind the original source of magic sort of came in to try and take over again and we've we've now revealed who that really is and how it all links in with the witch and the hecate storyline that's a really cool little little story oh, who did you say sorry who was doing the artwork on this one i didn't just because i couldn't actually pronounce the name it's martinez bueno like the chocolate bar yeah, it's spelled like the chocolate bar there you go bueno, bueno. <laughs> that's not hard to pronounce I always get anxious that I say the wrong thing. So yeah, so he does. So the pencils are Alvaro Martinez Bueno and Fernando Blanco. But some nice little bits of artwork. So let me show you this little excerpt here. So it that's very cool. It's linking into the Year of the Villains as well. So we're bringing in all the, the big right. bads from the magical world. So you've yes. got Floronic Man. You've got Papa Midnight. Uh, you've got Calderon, the witch child. Mm. You've got the. He's circle. the one with the horns and the cat, right? Yep. And you've got Circle, who's a big bad. And um, there's a really cool bit about uh, Man Bat. Yeah. So he sort of he he mucks around a bit with his formula. Um. So the scene that I'm being shown right now, he has one, two, three. Four heads? Yeah, he's got four heads, got about 20 eyes, six or seven arms, yeah. Wow. He sort of mixes man-bat formula with a bit of magic and it's all gone a bit wrong. And it's all just a bit cool, really. So, like I said, I really enjoyed it. So, I really like the artwork and I really like the fact that the storyline has intertwined through everything. And, of course, it's got a bit of Constantine. Obviously. And you can't beat a good bit of Constantine. Hmm. So, how does this story wind up? Is this uh, kind of closing things off ready for... I was going to say, does this end with the villain symbol in the sky? Yeah, it ends with the villain symbol in the sky. Did you say the villain was called Circle? Did you mean Cersei? Why have I been calling her Circle? It's Cersei. <laughs> you you know, you read these things and it's all up to interpretation. If you want to call her Circle, you can call her Circle. I did think that's an odd name to give somebody. <laughs> oh, I tell you, I need to go to my bed. Uh, I think you do. Uh, oh, but who else is in this? Is that... Eclipso is in this. Eclipso? Eclipso. I realise that I've said that. It probably doesn't mean anything to you. but No, it doesn't mean anything to me at all. Explain to the lovely listeners at home who that is. Oh, so Eclipso is like some ancient demon, but okay. it was in a Tim Drake Robin series. Right. That was one of the first baddies he fought in his own. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like, oh, Eclipso. And they've not brought Tim Drake into this at all. It's just a, a yeah. random happenstance that that villain's in it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, what made you want to pick this? 
because I really enjoy it. I think I mean it's probably one of the very few comics I'm really excited about when it comes out. And is would you say this is not a great jumping off point for people to pick it up if they're not reading it already? No, I probably I would have you would have to go back to the the Witching Hour to fully understand what's going on because there's a lot. So of So did you stuff. say this was issue sixteen? This was sixteen. Okay, I mean so there's not a lot of issues. Sixteen issues. Sixteen issues, and then I suppose the Witching Hour bleeds into Wonder Woman as well. Oh, so Witching Hour will be available now in trade paperback. Uh, they should have probably two or three volumes, so you can probably catch up in most of it in trade paperback form. Yeah, but I say definitely do it if you get a chance because it's a nice little storyline. I'm not reading this either, so I obviously read Witching Hour, but I've not read any of Justice League Dark since then. But this, what you've just shown me, looks really cool. So I think maybe I need to pick this up. Yeah, you do. You definitely do. I've kind of fallen a bit out of love with Red Hood at the minute. Yeah. Yeah. That's how I'm just gonna bit. I don't know. I'm struggling with it slightly. This idea that he's a villain. Well, he's not. He's a villain, but he's not a villain because he's training up these kids to be the next super villains and he's working for Lex Luthor but he's not really working for Lex Luthor I think it does sound saying, really weird yeah, it's a bit weird but hopefully so at the end of this issue of Red Hood because you know I'm talking about two comics now um, Artemis and Bizarro have returned oh finally so hopefully we get to see a bit of some of the a bit more of the recent Red Hood and the Outlaws well before you dive in and review a second comic what would you uh, score Justice League Dark I'm going to give it a, a good four out of five did we run out dinner? Whoa, we're we? out of tens here, people. Sorry, out of tens here. Uh, a good nine out of ten. Oh, <laughs> so you more than doubled your score. Well, no, it's the same as a four out of five, a nine out of ten. Well, see, I would say a four, a four out of five is the same as an eight out of ten. The what? semantics of scoring. So we're, you have to get like a four and a half out of five. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> you can't do halfies when you're out of five. This is why you should read the homework between episodes. I didn't realise it was homework. Why don't you tell us about your comic of the week? So I'm going to talk about Deceased, issue number six. See, I, see, I told you that's why I wasn't going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, so Deceased number six is written by um, Tom Taylor with artwork by Trevor Hairsign, And this was the final issue. This was the end of the Deceased saga. And my God, what an ending it was. I think it broke me. I think it broke me as well. I think this whole series broke me. My God. Uh, I tweeted him immediately and said, you are a flipping genius, man. Um, oh, language. <laughs> I know. Flipping. Bloody hell. <laughs> Bloody hell. Uh, but it was. It was just, it was a, It was another great issue. The only thing I struggled to talk about in my review of this one um, was the artwork. Not because I didn't like it, but because the artwork has been amazing. It's been the same artist all the way through. And you get to the point where when you're reviewing stuff, uh, particularly comic books where they've got a regular artist because of, like the story will change so you know each issue you get a different snippet of the story but the artwork is consistent throughout so it's, it's really difficult to comment on it but the book looks great all the way through and they get to do some different stuff in this one because they go into space but anyway artwork aside the storyline <sighs> totally broke me you, wrote, you almost said a bad word there I did nearly say a bad word um I didn't know how they were going to end this, given where we were at the end of issue five. It felt like we'd already begun to wrap things up, and I wasn't sure where it would go next. So the whole idea that they had to cram as many uh, survivors onto onto the arcs as possible, Superman completely zombified, then flying into the sun and killing the sun so that the Earth is doomed for anyone that's left behind. Massive spoiler, uh, but twist, where Cyborg, who we still don't really know how he came back... Um, 
suddenly realises he could put the lasso of truth around a zombie and see if they could talk, and Wonder Woman coughs up the information that actually it's all a digital virus that he turned on and he can turn off and that no one needed to die. So Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman herself by that point, Flash, none of them needed to die. It was all completely Cyborg's fault. And then he lost the head. He loses his mind in being like, oh my god, tries to contact the people on the ships and she rips his head off. Ugh. Ugh. It was crazy. I, t- I genuinely thought that it would either end with the um, with a cure, which would be the kind of cop-out ending, which I wasn't expecting, but it could have happened, or everyone was going to die. And it was neither of those things. He completely surprised us with what he did with it. And it was just brilliant on Tom Taylor's part with what he was able to do with this book. Um, that was a massive kick in the gut to, to know that everyone that we've just watched die didn't have to. But then to know that Cyborg could have saved everyone and turned off the virus, but she's killed him. So, well, this is this is the thing I said to you. She rips his head off, so from a visual standpoint, it's like she's killed him, but I don't know if his head can survive without his body. Like well, can in Teen Titans Go. So I mean, he may not be dead. Um, and then you get the really cool stuff that could lead into a sequel with, uh, with the survivors going to another planet, which they called their Earth 2, which I thought was quite nice. Um... So you've got Lois and you've got Damien dressed as Batman. I'm trying to remember, did uh, did John make it back after the fight with Superman? He did, didn't he? Yeah, he did, but had a bit of a, a bit of dad on him. He did have a bit of dad on him. Uh, and that that last shot, I, what the one thing that really surprised me, again, on top of everything else that surprised me, was how hopeful the ending was. So I didn't expect it to end with any level of hope. So that shot of them all looking out of the kind of the porthole in the spaceship, you know, in the Ark, with the, with the new Earth reflected on them, was a very... It was a very hopeful ending in a very hopeless series. Mm, not quite later, and we're especially with the Guardians sort of quarantining the air. Yeah, the Green Lanterns all turning up at the last minute to kind of help try and save the day. So I think there could be a really interesting sequel that wouldn't have to follow the horror pattern and could be an interesting sci-fi tale about them exploring another Earth. I don't know that no one has ever talked about there being a sequel, so I'm not I'm not saying, hey, it's coming soon. Um, but if for some reason they felt like dipping back into that universe, they could do some... if interesting different types of stories i'd have to do an earth 2 2 yeah earth 2 the sequel because i really loved earth 2 yeah but this isn't a different it's not like well, i suppose it could be earth 2 2 well it's not really because earth no 2 is earth 2 was wiped out when we had the oh last god i've crisis. gone cross-eyed yeah um when we had the whole sort of earth and bubbles and all that stuff that all got wiped out didn't it yes and reset with the new multiverse. Convergence. Convergence. That was it. I can't remember the word. Um, another thing that I think could be quite interesting is a story about Harley and Ivy left behind. So Ivy was not going to leave Earth and the green and Harley stayed with her. But the only thing about that is I don't really, not being a scientific man, know how long Earth has left if Superman killed the sun. Yeah, they did they did they didn't really say how long it was going to be, just that the sun would dry up and everybody would freeze to death. Yeah, so I don't quite know what would happen there. Um, well, plants need light, so... Yeah. And that's the probably just wilt. <laughs> they might do. But really, I can't... I can't... There's, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing bad I can say about this whatsoever. My uh, my review is up on the website, getyourcomicon.co.uk. <laughs> you know, so... Okay, here you go. Here's the polar opposite. So you just gave me that, ooh, you're all pretentious and wordy for my Doctor Sleep verdict. 
<laughs> my verdict on um, on deceased issue six is this is an easy one. Dot dot dot. Flawless. Ten out of ten. I genuinely I read it on the train to work. I think I read it twice. I think I text everyone I've ever met and said, "Are you reading this comic book? If not, you should be reading this comic book." Uh, because it was it was utterly flawless. It was excellent. And I then don't think, looking back over the six issues and the uh, the one shot, have any complaints. One dangling plot thread, Constantine. I'm guessing he just lives out his days in that pocket universe. Yeah, we don't know really. Yeah. That's or another, did we miss a one shot somewhere? That's another angle of yeah continuing the story. Yeah, Constantine in the pocket universe. Well, when you see him tomorrow. Oh, Tom Taylor. I'm like, am I seeing Constantine tomorrow? <laughs> you see, am I meeting Matt Ryan? You see Tommy Boy. We need a we need a continuation of the story. Yes. So uh, if you're listening to this on release day, <laughs> hoping that I can edit it in time, uh, today will be Thursday the 13th or 14th? 14th. Thursday the 14th of November. And Tom Taylor, Trevor Hairsign, and uh, Ben Oliver, who is the variant cover artist, are doing a signing at Forbidden Planet, the Superstore in London, from I think it's six. It's either six or six thirty. Uh, we will be down there, as will a few of our little uh, internety buddies. So if you'd happen to see us, come and say hello. If you're listening to this and it's no longer Thursday, the fourteenth of November, then we're very sorry, but you may have missed it. But if you were there, then hi, good to meet you. And if not, we'll talk about it next time. Yes, definitely. I think that's all I can say about this. It's just honestly, if you've not read it, it's perfect. Go and go and read it now. It's available where all good comics are sold. Oh, I love that shop. Alrighty, before we talk about Titans, because you'll love it, we're going to talk about Batwoman. Kate King. Kate King. We're all mad here. I'm mad, you're mad. How do you know I'm mad? You must be. Or you wouldn't have come here. Very well, then. Off with her head. So Batwoman stars Ruby Rose as Kate Kane slash Batwoman. Rachel Scarsden as Alice slash adult Beth Kane. Doug Ray Scott as Jacob Kane. You've also got Camrys Johnson as Luke Fox. And Nicole Kang as Mary Hamilton. Elizabeth Ann Weiss as Catherine Hamilton. And Megan Tandy as Sophie Moore. We've so far seen the first five episodes of this. The, there's one that we've not seen yet, which is this week's, which drops some very big Batman references. So I don't want to I don't want to cover each of these episodes like we do with Titans because I couldn't cope with it. It's just too much. I just thought it would be a good idea because it's new. It's part of the Arrowverse. We've got Crisis on Infinite Earths coming up to just talk a little bit about how we're feeling about the show so far. Crisis on Infinite Earths. So we watched the pilot for this in New York, didn't we? Uh, on the the Sunday after the last day of Comic Con. On the, I, on the CW. On the CW, we watched it live. Now, I would say I watched it. I would say you saw the first five minutes and then went... Mm, yeah. And I did not love the pilot the first time I watched it. I was quite critical of it. I felt like there were a lot of things that it did wrong 
and there were a lot of things that I didn't like, although there were things that I also did like about it. On second watch, I felt I warmed to it a bit more. I enjoyed the second episode more. I really enjoyed the third episode, and then was quite excited about the fourth, and enjoyed that as well. And then episode five, which is the most recent one we've watched, I didn't like so much. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster for me. How, what is your sort of overall enjoyment factor so far? Um, it's alright. I wouldn't rush to watch it, but I wouldn't turn it off if it was on. Okay. So I'm a bit like, I can see what you're trying to do. Yeah. I don't really. I'm not really, you know, I don't feel that invested in it. What would you say have been some of the roadblocks to you getting invested in it? Ruby. Okay. What don't you like about Ruby? I don't know. I just don't find her as a believable as Batwoman. I think, for me, I can completely see where you're coming from because I felt like that in the pilot and I felt like it less each episode since. Um, I think, in some respects, the writing is trying to find that coldness that Kate has in the comics because she is a very cold character. She seems to fall in love very easily and when she's in a relationship she's very much head over heels in that relationship and it's everything to her. So she has that ability to be more warm but really only with sort of one person at any one time and I don't think they've quite found the right way to write that into live action. Yeah that would make sense because everybody around was actually really good. Yeah. And then I don't know, it's just really weird. I can't if you think it. about uh, the episode with um, Brienne Howie from The Passage, guest starring as the, the barmaid that she had a brief relationship with. I can't remember the character name now. She was very warm with her, and they had quite a good dynamic on screen for the scenes that they were in. And, so, and her dynamic with Luke, I think, is really good as well. I think Ruby Rose and Cameron Johnson have got quite a good relationship, and I can feel there's a bit more that pops off the screen between the two of them but when she's isolated from those characters she's she is just a little bit too cold is there anything else that you would say is a, a kind of a, a low point for you i just find some of it a bit cheesy like yep when they're in the back cave and she's like oh what's that he's like oh don't touch that you can't use that then she's like oh i'm in a death-defying situation aha that thing i looked at earlier that will save me do we have do we have two or three episodes that did that it's quite i think it was on yeah it was two or three it was quite a lot because it was a double so we had grapple pull thingy yeah so we had the grapple that she then used to stop the lifts from collapsing then there we was had the, the laser and the rebreather the rebreather uh, maybe it was only two episodes there was probably something else i can't remember you just think oh but you're right that was so that would be one of the other things that i'd put on my list that i was going to say have been an issue with the writing in it so far and they didn't do it in the pilot I think it was sort of episodes two, three, and maybe four, and then they moved away from it, which was where they really relied on, oh, we're just going to point out this device, and then it becomes really important to the storyline later on. And it was very, very lazy writing in that respect, that they were just, she would randomly get up in the Batcave and go, so what are all these things? And then Luke goes, oh, that's a rebreather, and that's a laser gun, and then Alice is trapped in a van underwater, and it's like, oh... I can laser the door off and give her the rebreather so she has oxygen. Oh no, there's a shark. I've got a spray for that. <laughs> We've not gone quite that far. I like Rachel Scarston as Alice. 
I think she's excellent. Uh, and I so again the the pub quiz we keep alluding to uh, that we were at last night. I was talking to Jim from Earth Nine about it, and he, we kind of both agreed that she's done some serious work on her craft since Birds of Prey in two thousand and two. Go watch it. It's available now on DC Universe. But you've seen that show. She was a she was a whiny teenager in that show, and you wouldn't necessarily say she's someone that can play a very nuanced grey character. But that show was a very, very, very long time ago. And not very well written. Um, but she's she, come a long way. She has come a long way because if Alice was badged as the big bad of the season, she's really not. There's a huge grey area with her. And not in a she is what the plot needs her to be sort of way. She's just a bit nuts. She plays it very, very well. She does. I do enjoy Alice. I do like all the scenes with Alice in there, sort of the, the kookiness and where can it go next because you just don't quite know. Yeah. Almost a bit like a Joker type character. Yeah. Definitely. I appreciate that they took a few episodes to tell an origin story that was set before Elseworlds. I would have liked a bit more explanation of where Elseworlds fit in. Because it was a sort of a throwaway mention as being between episodes. Yeah, it was just like, la la la, origin, origin. Oh, Elseworlds happened. And that was it. The interesting thing for me is that it felt like Elseworlds pitched her as somebody who'd been a vigilante for a while. Yes, like a really well-established in a role. Although there weren't things in Gotham around, so we didn't really get any context of how she fit into Gotham. So that bat signal was covered up. It wasn't something that was being you know, regularly used, and I understand they maybe reintroduced the bat signal in the episode we've not seen yet. So I guess they didn't specifically state when it was, but I did, like you just said, I felt like she f- was a more established character when we saw her in Elseworlds. So to say she'd only been Batwoman for sort of a period of three... I mean, we don't know how much time has passed in the show, but in terms of episodes, for her to have only have been Batwoman for three episodes before it took place is... It's a little bit fast. And it's very like you've come to my town. Yeah. Well, it's not really your town yet, though. Or is it? I don't know. I mean, the the so Rachel Meadows' character, um, Vesper Fairchild, is obviously a great window into it and the opinion that Gotham has about her. One thing which I think has gone away, which I thought was intriguing in the pilot, is the very classist nature of Gotham. Mm. So the idea that the crows were created to look after the rich, like... Uh, private security we saw it in that they're always at whatever party is going on but that whole um when they went to decommission the bat signal in the pilot episode and you saw kind of people stuck behind an iron fence and very small but still present protests from people that were considered to be poor protesting the rich i felt like that was quite a good story that they could mine and they haven't done much of that yet like they've started but not well they've got 23 episodes to play with now. well yeah they have a full season now so there's I mean we've still got what 13 14 episodes to go that's a, that's a lot they've not really developed a big bad as well so with Alice now putting more of a this kind of not quite evil not quite good character role we've now got the brother figure that came into it in the last one um, Mouse with the plasticky face no you're looking at me as if you don't remember the little brother from the flashbacks that oh, grew up. Oh, mouse! I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say he's a big bad though. Is oh he? no, no. So, but he's come into it. So we know that there's a little bit more to their story there. 
but yeah. I still don't feel like we're looking at what is going to be the big band of the season. I feel like something's going to have to come into it post-crisis. I just don't know what, I mean, I think if you're going to be in Gotham and you're going to be that close to the source material, you, I don't know how you can avoid the Bat and the Bat family. Yeah. So where, well, where is Jim Gordon? Who's it, who's the police commissioner? Exactly. We don't Where's know. Where's Jim? Where's Alfred? The GCPD, uh, we've seen them because I've had that whole conversation with you about how they bought the costumes from Gotham, but they're not omnipresent like they are in, in any Bat comic book. So we don't know what's going on with the GCPD. Uh, Alfred, and this is a spoiler alert, and now I realise that Batwoman has not been shown in the UK yet, so for a lot of people they won't know anything about what's happening. But there was an exclusive image that was released today that um, is now out online, which shows Ruby Rose with, uh, what, sorry, Kate with with Luke Fox and the daughter of Alfred Pennyworth. Oh, the daughter? Yes. But not actually Alfred. Well, no, but he has a daughter in the comics. Not Batgirl, is she? I sincerely hope not. Uh, I doubt it. They wouldn't, no one would make that mistake again. Well, I suppose if I was not Dora Lassen, it was his niece. Yeah. Uh, but he does have a daughter in the comic book so there has been a daughter of Pennyworth so that character is being written in sometime in the near future but you're right there's no Alfred no Wayne Manor no Wayne Manor no Arkham we I get it I think they're trying to make sure that we watch this and treat her as her own character but like you say she's Bruce Wayne's cousin she's in Gotham and she's a bat and she's wearing his costume and she's in Wayne Tower yeah. So we're not even in the actual Batcave, we're in the Batcave that's part of Wayne Enterprises. Yeah. You know, where's the Robins? Been mentioned. Have they? Yeah. Oh, oh was it mentioned Bloodhaven? Uh, and Vesper Fairchild um, said, what did she say? Um, it was in episode two or three uh, when something had happened and she was calling out Batwoman for not being there. She said, where were you? Was it, uh, was it Robin's graduation? Oh, yes, yeah. that. So there's been there's been mentions. They're they're there. Because surely they would pop up and be like, "Hey, what are you doing?" Well, that's the thing. At some point soon, you, we're going to have to cover off that me- other members of the Bat family have said, um, "Who are you, and why are you wearing Bruce's costume?" Yeah. What's the hat, hen? Yeah. And I suppose the villain choice as well. I mean, who who would you pick? So Alice is really the big one from the comics for, for Batwoman. We've had references to Riddler. Spoiler alert, Jack Napier is named in this week's episode. And Oswald Cobblepot is mentioned as being a previous mayor of Gotham. So we have a Riddler, a Penguin and a Joker all established in this may universe. May may not be a Joker. Could just be a, ja- a guy called Jack. I think he's referenced as Jack Napier, who is also known as the Joker. I, I don't know for sure because I've not seen it yet, but uh, that's what I understand happens in this week's. So does that mean that we're then grimmed in this in an 89 universe? I don't know. Maybe. Or we could be grounding it in a Batman White Knight universe. Interesting. Here's a side swipe for you. Pulling that rug out from underneath you. I think what we're... What, what we can draw from what both of us are saying is at the moment it doesn't feel like a show that's got a direction it it, it exists it's it's pretty well made and I'm really impressed by how different it looks to the rest of the Arrowverse in no small part due to the fact that they do a lot of external shooting in Chicago 
so they do a lot of their soundstage work in Vancouver and then they fly members of the cast down to do external shots down in uh, down in Chicago and a lot of the obviously the the scene setting stuff is just stock drone footage of Chicago although as we saw from that last episode it can also go horribly wrong because there was that scene down beneath the um, the bridge from ER with Mary and the mum that was one of the most appallingly dubbed scenes I think I've ever seen on TV for a very long time. It was like one of those old style martial arts films. It was really clear that they obviously weren't able to shut down the location to do their shooting so there was a lot going on around them that was not I mean you, you know you, when you see a public scene in one of these episodes they'll be like 10 extras wandering around whereas that was like a full on city in the middle of a very busy day so I'm guessing there was just no way to capture really clean audio for it and they had no choice but to dub it in afterwards but it was a, it was just not very well done at all it was better than a click and drag it was better than a click and drag bit of CGI yeah there is not that much CGI in this no there isn't actually we had um, why does it need to be what's her face bird lady Magpie. Magpie, uh, flying from building to building. That was a little bit dodge. Oh, that was a little bit dodge. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really like how she was just ripped off the side of the building by a battering and landed in a fountain and it was all over after being a major sort of foe for an entire episode. But it's a it's a brand new series. It's a brand new writing team. Oh, I didn't like the battering either. No? That electronically battering that comes back because it's... A boomerang. A boomerang with a, like a little motor in it or something. Yeah. I didn't like that. Okay. I think we've got the so what i was going to say was we've got the usual pitfalls of a brand new show it's you know it's still finding its feet it's it's not being written by or uh show you know the showrunner is is not somebody from the regular arrowverse it, they're new people to this which is why it's bringing a bit of a fresh attitude to it and it's it's finding its feet but it's it's not unwatchable it's not unenjoyable it just it needs a bit more direction i think to become a show that we rush to watch every week needs a bit of pizzazz <laughs> You and that bloody pizzazz. So at the moment, it doesn't have a UK air date. Um, Sky have said that they did not win the rights to it. They said it was acquired by another party. I say in air quotes, but we don't know who that other party was. Everyone that I've spoken to has said the same thing, which is we think it's probably going to be E4. E4? They had Gotham. Oh, yeah. So they have a bit of history with Batman stuff. Um... And you can almost see them promoting it. Like, it's Batman, but a woman coming to E4. Because they're, you know, prone to a cheesy tagline. Now you do the voice. <laughs> now I can do the voice. Um, but it just means that fans on Sky are going to get to see episode 1, 3, 4, and 5 of Elseworld, uh, Crossover Crisis. Crisis? <laughs> I was about to call it Elseworld. So I was about to just call it Crossover. Crossover on Infinite Earths. That's going to cause havoc, though. Unfortunately. Well, I mean, I imagine most people just done with it anyway. I'm not going to ask you to score it, but are we giving it like a like a thumbs up or a thumbs down? I'm going to go thumbs in the middle. Ooh, middling thumbs. Like a, uh... I am actually reviewing it every week. Um, I've generally been giving it kind of sixes and sevens. It's um, it's improving. It's definitely improving, and I, we probably sound like we're being really down on it, but. I am I am enjoying watching it. I'm just not ready to to rush to watch it every week yet. Yeah, I'm still a bit meh. It needs a needs a bit of pizzazz. We'll see what happens with Crisis and then post Crisis. All I can say is that you know, 
when there's a crisis, you need a good team around you. You do need a really good team around you. On to Titans. So we have two episodes of Titans to talk about. Episodes 9 and 10. So that is uh, Atonement, which was uh, the episode which featured Gar and Connor playing computer games and getting lost in the city. And Dick doing some very strange things with police officers in airports. And then episode 10, which was called Fallen, which uh, had the fallout of what Dick did in the airport. Let's start with Atonement. I actually really liked this episode because it was nice to see them throw a light onto Gar for a while. Some people felt like it didn't do enough, but it certainly did a lot more than the rest of this season's been doing for his character. I know he's one of your favourites, so what did you think about that? I want a bit, I don't know, I want a bit more from him. I want him to... He's not really the Gar that we see in the comics. No? So he's a bit quiet and quite reserved. I want to see the Gar that's more, you know, tapped into social media... Trying yep. to make a name for himself. Being a bit more like he. He doesn't quite have that confidence, does he? I'm Gar. Let's, you know, I'm an actor. Yeah. I'm that kid. I mean, he's not an actor. He's not an actor. He's not doing any of that stuff. I would have really loved for him to phone Rita for help and support because she's that mother figure to him. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. And that's where, you know, he would... So if you look at the, the Jeff Johns Titans, Rita Fowl was his adopted mum, basically. Yeah. That's why he was an actor, because of her influence. So I'd have really liked to have seen a bit more of that and him sort of joining everything together, not just being a bit underutilised. Yeah. Do you appreciate that this episode tried to do more with him? Yeah, but then I feel like Connor maybe took a little bit more of the limelight away. He did. I wasn't really impressed that Guard did a runner on him No. when they were confronted by the police. That was sad. But then you could see in the context of the story that he was probably looking at that and thinking, I've done it again. This keeps happening. Every time I leave this tower with someone, they get kidnapped, they get in trouble. Yeah, I'll give him that. But, you know, it's a shame. I loved the the bit when he was on his own and it was like, day one, Captain's Log. Yes, that I was I got really excited. Funny. It's like, oh, yes, we're going to get to see the like, proper... Let me it. put on my green trainers and my green t-shirt and have my green breakfast and... Yeah, he's going to be like Gar, and then it all just it didn't really deliver. No, he didn't. only lasted four days before he gave up and said, I've had enough, which I thought was quite funny. Yeah, no, I loved it. I mean, but after that, it just sort of went a bit like, oh. Yeah. It's like, oh, we're going to try and make Gar really good and, you know, to the roots. But then it just, I don't know, it's a bit sad. <laughs> Dear. So this episode also introduced us to Blackfire. This is the first time we've seen her. Now, I have to say... Um, them saying that this episode was going to introduce us to her was probably a little bit of a stretch because we she was only in a scene of it uh, but interesting there are now rumours that she's going to be quite a major villain for season 3 oh, okay. so uh, I, I didn't include it in the news because it's only happened very very recently but we now know that Titans is officially renewed for season 3 and will be back in fall 2020 so I guess around the same time it's going to be September October time it'll be premiering again so um how did you feel about her being introduced in this one? Yeah, I'd like to know how she sent her purple blob to Earth. I wasn't a fan of the purple blob. That was that was not a good bit of CGI. No? Where, did it, where did it come from? Well, space. Tamaran. That's a long way for a blob, though, isn't it? A bit Ivan Ooze-esque. Yeah. I wasn't feeling the blob. She had those sticks and she kept twirling them around. The uh, noise was awful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for, for anybody that doesn't... Actually... 
I was going to tell people what that was. If you know what that was as a reference, I want you to tweet to us at neilvag at boywonder1989 and tell us what that reference was. Um, maybe I'll send you something if you if you get it and live in the UK and I can afford postage and I dig something nice out of the prize cupboard. If, yeah, if you send a really good gif of the answer, then I will approve the... A badge. A badge. <laughs> As business manager, I approve postage. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, sorry, uh, carry on. So, yeah, a random purple blob that infected, um, I was about to say Gar's ex-boyfriend, uh, Corey's ex-boyfriend, the, the the prison, the, sorry, prison guard, uh, royal guard. Kind of sad that they killed him off. They, they had quite a nice relationship between the two of them. Yeah, but I suppose that just kind of drives home the, the evilness of Blackfire. Yeah. Matricide and patricide. Uh, <laughs> So, yes, okay, two things with that. So, uh, the things that she was saying were interesting. So, she's wiped out, basically, the royal family and taken over. So, presumably, Tamaran is in, like, civil war. Well, I think there's the whole thing is that she's... Well, it's kind of weird. So, if you go back to the actual true origins, that Blackfire should have taken over as queen. Yeah. And Cory should have been sold as a slave okay. to ensue peace yep. within the sector. And then she goes to a slave planet to work it all off sort of thing and then she escapes and becomes a rogue and blah 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 oh right okay and then the whole the mission of her trying to take back the throne and free her people sort of thing well here's an interesting point uh, uh, is titans going to go to tamaran i don't know if they've got the budget for that well that's that would be my reservation to, to them doing it but it almost feels like they don't have a huge amount of choice unless it happens off screen yeah i mean i suppose if you look at um red hood and outlaws in new 52 there was that whole sequence where she's actually got a warship and a whole crew and she's off doing this okay. independent warrior woman. Yep. So I wonder, they might do that off screen. I don't know. Maybe she'll take a break and we'll miss it all. So my only thing about that scene then with Blackfire was where was she being projected from? It's technology beyond your comprehension, little man. Well, that's the only way to rationalise it because... That's that's the question you're asking. Where was she, she being projected from? Where did that bloody blob come from? Well, I mean, Starfire burnt the guy to a crisp because she knew he wasn't going to have much time left and he was kind of doing that whole, uh, end my suffering. And so you, the idea was that the purple thing was Blackfire, like... Controlling him. Controlling him? Control, main control blob. Yeah. So why, when he was burnt to a crisp, did it leave behind a holographic projection because it made a really nice bit of story oh it did it, that's just the unfortunate thing is it was slightly convenient writing um right well there's no hollow disc on the floor there's not there's no like tamarind drone flying above there's no hollow emitters anywhere exactly so where did that come from where's the mobile emitter sad that this episode left out uh rose and jason and uh, I was about to call her Connor again. Um, Donna, real name Connor, uh, and Rachel. Oh, Connor Leslie. Yeah, Donna. Uh, yeah, I can't help we, it. Good. We got a bit of Rachel. I don't know that was in episode 10. Yes. I'm getting confused. So they were all out of this one, and uh, Jason and Rose are still missing in the next one, in episode 10, that we'll talk about in a second. Oh, are they? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm, I'm, th I'm getting confused again. Oh, God. That They're back this week. In episode 11. Yes. Right, good. That makes sense. Because I may or may not know who the Judas is, um, because I've seen the promo photos for this week's episode. The Judas? Yeah. The Judas and the contract. Who's the one that's leaking the information to Deathstroke out of Titan's Tower? I know who it is. 
Dun, dun, dun. That's not the Judas contract. I know, but people are calling it the Judas online. Okay. Dick's storyline in this episode. Oh, do you know? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. Because you don't like the ending, or you don't like Deathstroke in his slippers in his chair watching the TV? Um, I like Deathstroke in his slippers watching the telly. Because, you know. <laughs> What's he watching? Watching the telly. <laughs> I quite like that because, you know, he's, he's a broken man. He's achieved what he wanted to. He came out of retirement to make the Titans suffer yep. and make Dick watch his family break, apart. break apart in front of him. It'll be his fault. So yep. he, he's done what he wanted to achieve. And he's like, you know what? I'm putting my slippers back on. I'm going back into retirement. And I'm putting that tail on. Is that what back. we're saying? Because it just feels a little bit weird that he went from the huge fight with Dick and Corey when he dropped Jason off the roof because that was the last time we saw him well I suppose that's when Corey sort of blasted him blasted him so is this I think we're saying that this is him trying to recover from it because there's a lot of chatter online saying he's not well is it him though or is there somebody nesting inside of him well this was our theory wasn't it our theory was that Jericho passed into uh, Slade Slade uh, when he died so in that moment when Slade stabbed him, that Slade, that he he used his power and went to inhabit his body, which is why we thought what happened at the end in the cliffhanger was uh, Jericho then inhabiting Dick's body, but it would seem that that is not the case. No, I mean I don't know. Um, yeah, that's out the out the windy. I really liked when so when Dick went to the the Wilson household and spoke to the to Mrs. Wilson. <laughs> I don't know her first name. <laughs> Mrs. Wilson. Hello. Hello, Mrs. Wilson. Can Slade come out to play? <laughs> uh, no, I know. What I was going to say was I really liked that she wasn't uh, the the stereotypical, like, broken, grieving mother figure. I know we're saying it's been sort of five years, but she wasn't, you know, seeing somebody that she knows was involved with the death of her son. She wasn't sort of sitting there crying and weeping over the whole thing. Uh, she was very strong. She was very steadfast. And she just looked at him cold, dead in the eye and said, you're never going to get forgiveness from me. If, you're, if that's what you're looking for, then you want to go through to the other room really liked how that was written i just thought that was really cool and that was slightly different to what you would expect in that sort of situation yeah yeah i thought the conversation between him and slade was good and i kind of understand what that final scene was trying to say i just don't know whether it quite tied up very well i don't understand why we've just seemed to throw away secret identities i don't know either we just you know they're just walking about like hey you know we're times yeah, no one's worn a costume, particularly in the present day. And like, hey, look, Dick Grayson. Yeah. Like, weren't you Bruce Wayne's ward? <laughs> Useful ward? Yeah. Where's Aunt Harriet? By gum, could Bruce Wayne be Batman? <laughs> he might be. Find out next time. No. But this whole idea of uh, Slade saying to him, you know, if you bring the Titans back together again, uh, then I will basically end everyone you love. I understand why Dick then ran to the airport and <laughs> bought a ticket to Greenland. What I don't understand is him then deciding not to go to Greenland and instead to just punch a cop and get arrested. Well, I suppose he, he feels like he's responsible for the death of Jericho and yeah. he wants to atone for that. And the only way that nice, he can do Nice, bringing that... in the episode title. Oh, so what is that? I did have accent. And the only way to do that would be to go to prison. Yeah, potentially. I don't buy that you would go to federal prison... That, that quickly. quickly for punching somebody, but then as America and they do things slightly differently here. Because Connor hadn't even oh I've done it again. Donna hadn't even left town. 
she just jumped out of the taxi and immediately chased after Rachel. Yeah. So it, not a lot of time had passed. Yeah. That's the only thing between episode 9 and 10 that it's very confusing as to what we think has happened in terms of how much time has passed. Um, other moments in episode 9? Um, Connor, the actual Connor. Yes. Going all badass and like, oh. On the police. Yeah. I feel for him. I don't quite understand how they're going to bring the character back from this in the eyes of the public. They'll, they'll if you think of public perception of him, it's going to be fairly low at this point. But then that's that's pretty standard for Superboy when he first gets introduced to the Titans. It okay. is a bit chaotic and it yep. is a bit of a disaster and it's a it's a work in progress. Fair enough. Um, what I was actually going to say before you said Connor was uh, Hank and Dawn. Oh, I do love Ain't Hank no and Dawn. Ain't no burning high enough. Ain't no river low enough. Uh, me from you. All right, stop. Uh, so I believe that was Alan Richardson singing. I don't know that it was Minka Kelly. I think it was. It sounded like her, but when they came to talk about it on DC Daily, when they do they like weekly talk on Titans, they they were just saying how amazing he was. They didn't comment on her singing. Um, how uh, how do we feel about this karaoke scene? Yeah, it was alright. It's a bit of fun, isn't it? A bit random. Bit of fun and a gloomy time. They're trying to reconnect with their roots. And well, they then broke up. Find themselves. Well, obviously, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> didn't I end mean, well for them did it I mean it's a good song but it's not that good I feel <coughs> I feel like we're heading towards writing them out I don't f- I don't think there's much more that these two can do without becoming utterly broken I think they already are broken to be fair but do you feel like we're heading towards writing them out that's the thing no, I don't want them to be right now I think they're just going to have to break up there is some talk of uh, with the season three renewal about people being um, written off the show. Well, not written off the show, but people leaving. Some characters going so that other characters can come in. We're talking about Roy and um, Calderon potentially coming into the show. <gasps> Calderon? I think so. Oh, that's exciting. Dev, we need a bit of Roy. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that would be exciting. But will it be at the loss and of... And Wally. We need a bit of Wally as well. Yes. Could it be... I mean, the show is pretty heavily stuffed as it is, so something has to give. And I think that the Hawks would be uh, the not birds. the Hawks because they're not Hawkman and Hawk Girl. Uh, the, the birds. The birds would be the ones to go. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they'll get their own show. There's some talk of it, but again, given where they are emotionally and as characters, I feel like if they're going to do a show, it needs to be set. In that period when they didn't know Dick, when like after the Titans have broken up, and before he reappears with Rachel in season one. Yeah, I quite like that to go back and see their development as a couple, but yeah. not a couple. And then there's much more story to tell there than there is now. We we feel like in Titan season two, we're at towards the end of the story to me. Yeah, he's ready. He's packed it in. Yeah, she's he's ready. not someone that's going to suddenly decide he has a purpose for being a hero for the rest of his life at this point. Let's bring in a bit of Roy. But some really interesting writing that he is the character that is in that position rather than her. Because you've always portrayed it as she's the, the sort of the level-headed, sensible one. Yeah. But then you get that little little glimpse of... There's a darkness to she's her. She's got an edge. Yes. Uh, how would you score this? Um, seven. I also gave this a seven. I said Atonement... Oh, spooky. ...is perhaps the slowest episode of Titan's second season but it features some interesting character beats and finally shines a light on the excellent Ryan Potter as Beast Boy. Brings us on to episode 10, Fallen, Dicks in Prison. So I think when I reviewed this one, I uh, I kind of talked about 
the Dick storyline. I talked about the Rachel storyline. And only after I'd kind of spoken about both of those at length and did I then think, oh, I haven't actually mentioned Connor or Gar, who still feature in this episode. I felt like this one... Um, I actually gave this one a 6 out of 10. This is my lowest score for season 2. Um, Controversial, or is it? No, I, it's for a reason. I think this episode was too busy. When you think about the last one, you, okay, you had a Dick storyline, you had Gar Connor, and you had Corey all going on in the last one. It's only, three, it's only really three stories that were going on. Oh, you had you, obviously you had a bit of Hank and Dawn as well. Uh, four stories. This one, you have a huge amount of storyline that goes on with um, Dick in prison. That's not a slow kind of two-scene sort of situation. It's not like knocks at the door, talks to the wife, talks to Slade. This is like... It's a, there's a lot here for, for his character. You've got Connor, who... <laughs> I've done it again! Donna. You've got Donna, Donna, who is after Rachel, but the two of them are never together, so Rachel has a, is almost two different storylines. You've also got uh, Gar, who is separated from the actual Connor, Superboy Connor, who we don't see, but there's Mercy Graves going on as well. And it's just, it's like, I just feel like there was too much in this one for it all to stand out, as it were. Oh, of course, because Mercy Graves is like, cool, let's send him back. Mercy Graves. Mercy Graves. <laughs> oh, I've gone scouts. God. Mercy. Yeah, so she's like, let's send him back yeah. to his friends. I hope he's not evil. No, I don't think it would be. Could he be the Judas? <gasps> dum dum dum. I know the answer to that question. Find out next week. Same, Same bad, bad time. Same bad channel. Same bad place. No. <laughs> I'll see you at the bad place. Anyway. That sounds um, like a good place to me. But do you do you not think, can you, if when you think about this episode, okay, right, first thing you think of when oh you think God. of this. The um, Nightwing. Okay, second thing you think of. Nightwing. Third <laughs> thing you think of. Mercy Graves. And anything else you think of. Gargoyle. There you go. You don't, you don't think about Gar or Connor or Cadmus or that whole thing that's going on. Even though that's a very important plotline in the background, it's so far in the background and so many other things happen that it's quite forgettable. Elephant in the room, Nightwing origin story. We now know he's getting the costume in episode 12. We have one more to go till he puts on the costume. God, it's so long away. Um, this is not how the name Nightwing comes about in the comics. This is quite vastly different. Well, I mean, it's, it's debatable, isn't it? Because there, t- there are variations in where the name comes from. Superman is not involved, and it's not a Kryptonian story. It's not a Kryptonian story, and it's not a circus story either. So, But I really appreciate what they did with it. It was original, and it took what felt like a really odd, slightly generic storyline and made it quite interesting to watch. It did, actually, and I think I shouted when that fight scene in the yard. Yeah, it led to a very cool fight scene. Very exciting. And then you missed it because you were unpacking a box of chicken. Oh yeah, we were having a takeaway, weren't we? People don't need to know that. I'm getting a bit of content. It was a kebab. It was really nice. Anyway, it felt at the beginning like this whole prison thing was not going to be particularly interesting. It's like, oh, he's in prison. Oh, there's a Mexican cartel. Oh, they're planning to break out. And then suddenly it went, boom, character development. It's a very honest story about our heritage, why we're in here, why we want to get out. 
and this is who's going to save us this mythical night bird is that what the translation was something like that yeah so he was he was talking about like a a bird symbolic hero of, of the night basically not a duck night duck i was thinking more of drake oh okay but what was really interesting was how much dick turned his back on wanting to help people for much of the episode again um and then he did the 180 and obviously helped them and it was a very cool fight scene but it we i felt like we redid the entire of dick's season one arc in this episode yeah no it's been done before let's just can we just have them as a team this is my frustration with this episode was it felt very season one but it also felt like we just deconstructed the titans again to push his character forwards and we've done this before we've been here before but I can sort of see why, because we need to get him to be Nightwing. But yeah. we spent so long in series one doing that. Yeah, it could have. This could have happened a lot sooner. I think it could have. But I, I appreciate that he's having to find himself again. Yeah, he's rebroken. He's rebroken. It's very fragile, bless him. <laughs> he's very fragile. Um, Rachel's story is interesting. I don't quite know where we're going with the homeless people that she's now kind of hooked up with, but I'm intrigued by the the fact that her soul self, kind of yeah, her soul self or her inner powers are now affecting the world around her. Well, I suppose that's interesting. I wonder if they're saying that that's the demon within her that's out of control at the minute. Yep. So she'll need to control the demon and her emotions before she'll fully control her powers probably i think that's what we're alluding to yeah. but then she has to go away to azar and spend time with the nuns and the priestess and learn all that stuff again could happen over the summer during spring break but i, mean, I suppose you know because technically she died yep in titans and then came back again yes so are we building up to her sort of metaphorically dying going Maybe. off to the other demon dimension and honing our powers and coming back we could well be you have to come back bold <laughs> okay there's a, there's a lot going on there i just think it's quite interesting what's going to be happening there um donna got it right first time donna, yes. um hot on her heels don't quite know how we're going to get to where we are next week because the the, pre the main preview image for next week is uh corey and rachel looking like they're either breaking into the prison or cadmus i'm going to guess it's going to be two teams of titans one to save dick and one to save connor Interesting. I'll do like Chloe. She'll sort them out. She she seems to be the m the mother figure that comes in and sorts everyone out. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else to say about this episode because it was just a little bit offbeat, as it were. I so what I actually said about this one in my review verdict was this week's Titans puts an interesting spin on the Nightwing origin. It repeats some of the series' past mistakes, but still presents an interesting hour of television. I was slightly grasping at straws not to be a bit more negative about this one because it was enjoyable and it did have it had high high notes and some serious low notes at the same time what would you score this as i said previously had oh, you, you been listening six. i gave yeah. it a six sorry i was listening you just you say a lot of things it's hard to grasp it all in my mind okay what would you score this one Ooh, seven yeah I think that's, I think that's fair. I think it gets this is an extra mark for the flippy fighty scene. The flippy fighty scene. That the, this season has had great fight choreography. Did he do that himself? I doubt it. I think he may have done. I don't yeah. think he did. You'll have to ask him, won't you? He did the pull-ups himself. He did do the pull-ups himself. Yes. That's more than I could do. <laughs> Anything is more than you can do. 
Right. Sassy pants. <laughs> that brings us up to date on Titans. So episode 11. We have uh, three to go. 11, 12, and 13. So uh, this week's episode is called EL underscore O. Don't quite know what that's about. Hello. Next week uh, is called Fauxhawk. And then the week after that is the season finale, which we know to be called Nightwing. Fauxhawk. Yes. Interesting. As in, like, not a real mohawk. It's a fauxhawk. I know what a fauxhawk is. I'm looking at one. What does that mean? I don't know. I can be sassy as well. Right, so it's nearly time to say goodbye. Uh, But before we do... We're going to quickly go through our discussion topic for this week. So we don't always do this as a feature because I know a lot of podcasts do it, but it's a fun way to get a bit of engagement from you guys and hear your opinions. So I said, um, in honour of the launch of Get Your Horror On, which you can follow on social media at Get Your Horror On or visit the website www.getyourhorroron.co.uk. Go and sing it. Uh, We wanted to know what is your favourite scary movie? What's your favourite scary movie? So, Nerds Chatting said American Werewolf in London, The Thing, and It. Uh, So, (laughs) it scared the bejesus out of me when I was a kid. The Thing scared me as a teenager. It follows as an adult. The thought of something you can only see stalking you relentlessly, no matter where you are, is terrifying. All good choices. American Werewolf in London. Not one I've watched in a very long time. Is that horror? I've never seen it, to be honest with you. Right, but not on the list. Um, I can't believe you've never seen it. I think I've seen bits of it. I've never seen the whole thing. Are you Googling scary movies to see what your favourite is? No, I'm actually watching a video on Japanese te- te- tamayaki, teriyaki, <laughs> tapanyaki. <laughs> tapanyaki. <laughs> Why are you watching a video on Japanese tapanyaki? I don't know. It popped up on my phone. I was looking at Twitter. I'm glad to know you're interested by our conversation. I am. Uh, I am. So it's horror. I- it scares me. I can't. Can't deal with it. Well, you can deal with this next one because it's Claire. Oh, okay. There you go, see. So Claire says, Horror is my least favourite genre, but thinking about it, I have seen some excellent horror. The Others, Silence of the Lambs, Salem's Lot, What Lies Beneath, Interview with a Vampire, and What We Do in the Shadows. Ooh, What Lies Beneath. What, do we like Interview with a Vampire? Is that horror? It's a horror genre, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it's a vampire film and it has death in it, so it it's born of the world of horror. There's so many shades of grey to a horror film as well, like, Anything that you find vaguely scary could be a horror film. You could have a phobia of Pokemon, and Detective Pikachu could be a horror film. I suppose some of that CGI is a bit. Creepy. You think that Gremlins is a horror film? That scared the bejesus out of me. There you go. Don't get them wet. So, so it's back in cinemas for its anniversary. I might book us tickets. Oh, no. uh, Max Byrne, uh, aiming for that gold star. Uh, says the omen masterpiece of a film either that or, or and actually he may well have earned a gold star again uh paul blart mole cop <laughs> you oh, don't give me blank face uh you know what paul blart mole cop is i know that's why i'm giving you the face <laughs> why are you giving me the face <laughs> i'm showing him the poster <laughs> it's quite horrific to be fair um and when I read that, I did uh, have to laugh out loud. So um, I don't. I, did what? you LOL? I LOL'd. Um, and I know, I know, we have not officially said that there is a competition for the most gold stars in the discussion topic land. But I think Max has just earned his third one. Um, Claire then replied to say Mulcup was terrifying. James Stone said, uh, "Well, if we're giving it gold stars, I'm going to give one to Claire for it to be with a vampire." 
<laughs> Oof, all right then. Uh, James Stone said, I have never been a fan of the horror uh, genre or gore, but I really enjoyed the Scream movies when they came out. The first I can think of to modernise the genre. Very true. Uh, horror films were a very different beast before uh, Scream came along. Do I do like Scream and that other one? I know what you did last Tuesday. <laughs> I know what you did last summer. That's the one. I know what you did last Tuesday. Um, Nicola replied to uh, to James with a uh, with a gift of of like high five, saying "Great minds think alike." Because she also replied and said, "Ooh, this is a tricky one." Uh, the Shining is possibly up there because, as we know, she poor girl woke up halfway through it because she'd fallen asleep watching it and basically woke up to a river of blood uh, uh, slept again. so she, she says it really stuck with me long after watching it no surprises uh, but might have to be scream yeah, good choice good choice yes. rob said i enjoy a good horror the shining scream the right and rosemary's baby come to mind as some favorites am i allowed to say scary movie one and two as well <gasps> uh, which led movie. to a very funny conversation about uh, your favorite character from scary movie brenda oh i love brenda don't please don't do it it's not PC. This what? is this is a PC podcast. What was I going to do? You can't do that bit where she's having sex with the guy and she's like, I'm going to on your face. <laughs> you just did it. <laughs> I know, but I can cut it out. That's my favourite bit, though. Brenda Meeks. Highlight of the scary movie genre. Love it. Gold star. <laughs> you can't give everyone a... It's just, right, see... You're the reason the snowflake generation exists. Yeah, Everyone gets a prize you. for trying. How dare you? <laughs> um, I didn't go. I only give gold stars to the films that I like. Okay. Oh well, really? We should give Nicola a gold star as well for Scream because I, I did like Scream. Well, then you have to give James a gold star for saying Scream as well. Yeah, well, he can have one as well. Then. So everyone gets a gold star. I wouldn't give one to Max for a mall cop. <laughs> That is harsh. <laughs> that is harsh. Well, you said not everybody can have one. You've got to make these cutthroat decisions. Can I continue with the discussion topic, please? Okay. Can I have my own star? No. Okay. So, next up is uh, Cass, newbie to our discussion topics, uh, at Jurassic underscore Cass. Welcome to the Geico podcast, who said so many Lost Boys, Evil Dead, Candyman, Silence of the Lambs for some of the older ones. Uh, Terrifier, Brightburn, and It for newer ones. I don't know Terrifier. Gonna have to look that one up. Brightburn, we know I love. Really great film. It, I also love the remake. Um, Candyman was one of the first ones I saw when I was too young to watch a horror film. Uh, and it took me years to realise that that was Tony Todd. Um, Savitar, who we also realised was in The Crow that we went to see the other day. Um, not for the first time, I might add. We just went to see it because it's an amazing film obviously if you've not seen it go see it oh god Candyman used to scare the bejesus gubbins out of me <laughs> the gubbins <laughs> and then last but not least we have Brooker at Brooker411 who said Martyrs the original don't know how many times I watch it oh sorry doesn't matter how many times I watch it it leaves me cold as ice every time and stops me from sleeping for a week followed closely by Scream Scream a very popular choice nearly everyone actually picked up on Scream that a generational thing do you think could be a generational thing yeah because it was a big thing back in the day it was uh go on then what is your favorite scary movie um i don't know it's focus pocus count no no it's horrific uh no, it's but it's not. not a horror it's it's a horror genre there's witches <laughs> it's made by disney and it's still you are automatically disqualified no well i'll, I'll probably go for a scream I quite like a scream. Okay. And the 
last Tuesday. I know what they did. I always thought you were a fan of Final Destination. I do like that's Final Destination, but the first one, not any of the other ones. Okay. What's the one where they get where she gets trapped in the sunbeds? Is that the first one or the second one? Isn't that the second one? Oh, I'm not. Right. I've not. I'm not an expert on uh, Final Destination. Whatever one that was, that oh god, that made me feel a bit ill, and I don't mind a bit of gore because it's you know it's my job, but oh, that made me feel a bit ill. You're a lecturer. Yes. <laughs> but I do spend a considerable amount of time in an anatomy lab. Oh, this is true, yes. With lots of cadavers. Yes. Lungs all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, poor people that faint in front of the sight of a severed head. Um, I... Yeah, yeah, this is a difficult one to pick. Oh, I didn't, I didn't even ask you. Am I done? Are you done? I, I don't know, I might be. I've decided on Scream and probably Final Destination. Okay, with a bit of I know what you did last Tuesday. I know what we did. What was that? What was that other one? That I other... still know what you did last summer. No, no. What was the other one? It was on a high. It was a college campus. It was another slasher type one. Right. What was it called? Or was that I know what you did last Tuesday? It was something along that line, that genre. It was the same time. Urban Legend. Yes, Urban Legend. Jared Leto, 1998. Was that Jared Leto? 1998. A God, college student suspects young. a series of bizarre deaths are connected to a certain urban legend, uh, starring Jared Leto, Alicia Witt, Rebecca Gayhart, Michael Rosenbaum from Smallville, uh, Loretta Devine, the first wife to the chief in Grey's Anatomy, Joshua, Joshua, Joshua Jackson, Peter from Fringe. Yes. Uh, Tara Reid. John Neville, Julian Richings, Robert Englund. Because a famous cast. You must have seen it, surely. I must have. I always remember watching these films with my nana, my uncle. Oh. I've just depressed that line of talk, haven't I? Oh. <laughs> I've just got a cat kiss. Um, you haven't asked me. Oh yes, yeah, so what's 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 your favourite scary movie, Drew Barrymore? Difficult to say. I like a lot. I would probably say Scream as well, I guess. Um It's definitely one that stands out because it changed the genre. Um I guess I really, really liked the original couple of like first couple of Saw films as well when it was still something original and it wasn't just the kind of torture porn franchise that it became in the end. They were they were interesting to begin with at least. I've never seen a saw. No, none of them. No, I don't really fancy it to be honest with you. There, it's to, the dummy. I can't do dolls or dummies. Or... That's fair enough. To begin with, it, there was an interesting idea behind it that they, you know, he had a motivation for it. There was there was like character to the whole idea of um, who Jigsaw was, but then they they lost it in more elaborate traps and stuff like that, and it just became not worthwhile watching anymore. When I, when I got to Saw 56. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Uh, so I think I would I would possibly say those ones as well. In terms of modern ones, I would definitely say Brightburn or something along those lines. Are you, have you got a particular scream that you enjoy? One, two, three? Which one had Sarah Michelle Gellar in it? Was she in one? No. I wouldn't say two, two? or three. I think she might be two. And then she was obviously in I Know What You Did Last Summer. Yes. Which I have to say I do like because it has, you know... The quintessential female leads of 
classic genre TV series, you have Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Melinda the Ghost Whisperer. Oh God, not Melinda! <laughs> <laughs> you've not made, you've not even mentioned uh, a Dushku horror film. She's oh, been in some dire horror uh, films. Wrong turn. Damn good film. Wrong turn. Bloody love that film. That's a good one. That, that actually, I totally forgotten about that film. Oh, I'll have to watch that again. Not with me. What's the one I keep to every time we mention a Dushku horror film? I always think of the one that again I have to watch with my uncle. Hmm. And it was weird where it was like some nightclub and something happened in the nightclub and she always went back to the nightclub and it was a horror thing. It's a long time ago. Um, I've asked you this before. And you're like, I don't know. You're making things up. I yeah, I've absolutely no idea. Was it the pilot episode of Dollhouse? Because she was in a club in that for a while. No, yeah, well, it was a film. Hmm. Anyway, thank you we, for taking part. We digress. Yes, exactly. Thank you for taking part in the discussion topic this week. Uh, if you've got any suggestions for things that you'd like us to ask you about in the future, then go for it because we're always game to hear your opinions on things. And you may even win a gold star from Neil, or apparently a gold star from you. No, no, I'm not having gold stars because I'm not allowed. Apparently. Okay. So instead, I'm going to give out achievement points. Achievement points. Is there a scoring system? Yes. Oh, how does that work? Well, you have to wait and see. I'm intrigued. That just about wraps things up for this week. I just wanted to quickly mention the event that we went to last night, uh, which is the reason why this podcast is late coming out, because we decided to hold off so we could mention it. We got invited by the lovely people of a PR company called Alfred, um, and get fandom uh, if you use the fandom app or fandom.com you'll know their website we were invited to a dc tv pub quiz it was very cool it was and i think it's safe to say that we smashed it well we won but we only won by two points we smashed it uh so it was really cool there was there was you and i on on our team which were called the not so teen titans we also had my buddy matt and my friend mark and then we saw jim from earth 9 dc Tasman was there with Ashley, who's also one of the guys that works for her with the Aspiring Kryptonian. Um, Alex from DC World was there. So a handful of the usual crowd were there, as well as some other social media types. Um, we also got to meet uh, a really lovely actress by the name of Ashlyn, who played Poison Ivy in, uh, in a really cool Poison Ivy fan film, which we will be talking about in a future episode of this podcast. With or, And we might just manage to get her on for a little, little chat about that. So uh, more details to come on that one. It was just really good fun. I had a really good time. Uh, it was really hard as well. So I spoke to the the guy from Fandom, and I'm, I really apologise because he said he was going to listen to the podcast, and I, I I missed to catch his name. Um, but he said that they asked him to make it really hard and for hardcore fans. So some of those questions, like what was Oliver Queen's date of birth? I, I, I know he's born in 1985, but I can't tell you the date. In fact, I still can't tell you the date, and I heard it last night. Um it was really well done. Uh, one moment where we had to laugh where in the Batgirl girl round, Batwoman round, question one was, uh, what is Batwoman's alter ego? And question two was, who is Kate Kane's famous cousin? <laughs> that was the only slip up of the night, though. Yeah, it was a very good quiz master. She was, uh, she was really, really cool. Uh, Kim from Fandom. She was uh, an awesome quiz master. She said she'd only done one pub quiz before. Oh, really? uh, yeah. But... So I don't know. If she, I think if she was nervous, she didn't. She really didn't need to be because everyone thought she was awesome and she was really nice and she did a really damn good job of it as well. Uh, but we won. 
We did. So prizes on the way. Blu-ray copies of uh, of all the Arrowverse shows are on their way. Uh, so better clear your bookshelves. Well, we need a whole new bookshelf. <laughs> We're gonna ship them at a whole new door. Uh, so the quiz itself covered um, Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, uh, Legends, and Batwoman. Batwoman. There was a really cool picture round as well, which properly had us stumped for a while. Yeah, we got there. We did. Uh, Roulette from Supergirl was a particularly difficult one, and Rupture, who is uh, Dante, Cisco's brother. That one stumped us for a little while as well. It took us a while to get those. Scored surprisingly well on the Supergirl round, which I didn't expect. Yeah, we and surprisingly bad on the Arrow round. So Arrow was our joint worst. For most rounds, we got either ten out. Of, well, so we got nine out of ten on the those on the rounds that were out of ten, and five out of five for Batwoman. And then our two lowest scores were um, Supergirl, uh, not Supergirl, uh, Flash and Arrow, which we got seven and a half out of ten on. But Arrow was really difficult. Some of those questions were hard. Like, I genuinely thought that Jason Brodeur was the first person he went after in the pilot. When it wasn't, it was Adam Hunt. And I could not tell you his birth date. Yeah, I mean, that, no. I, I, can, I could probably tell you your birth date. Thanks. That's very kind. I'm lying. I know what it is. Just lie. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> But more than just like sitting there and answering questions and winning it, it was just a really fun time with some really great people. Yeah, it was always nice to catch up with Jim. It is, and Tasman as well, Tasman. who I think I should be seeing tomorrow at the Tom Taylor signing. One thing as well, which was, which is gonna, I'm going to say this, and I will say this till the end of time, but when I see people who are like, oh, you're Neil from Geico, uh, I just freak out a little bit inside because I don't understand why people feel like they should know who I am. <laughs> It's very weird, and especially when they're thankful of stuff that we do for them. It's just a bit... It's very humbling. I don't have a egotistical bone in my body, so I just find it all a bit weird, and I get a bit awkward, so I was glad I'd had several free beers. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you again for that one, really. It was it was really fun, and uh, it would be nice to do something like that in the future. I sent them a big thank you note today and said it was a very cool idea um, and fit perfectly with this kind of audience, so something I think they should try and replicate again in the future. Agreed. They all get achievement points. <laughs> Gold star for everyone. Absolutely everyone that was there in attendance. That is it. We have reached the end of this fortnight of geekdom. What is coming up in the next couple of weeks? we got Charlie's Angels is going to be coming out in the cinema very soon. Frozen 2 is coming out as well. And Knives Out. You've got your Frozen 2 event with Nicola from We Have a Hulk on yes, Friday. Yes, very excited. I need to finish my Knives Out review because I saw it about three weeks ago and I still haven't quite polished it off yet. Um, also need to book tickets for us to go and see it because you really need to see that film because it's excellent. TV-wise, more Batwoman, more Arrowverse, more Titans, which will be coming to an end. So in two weeks' time, we'll have seen episodes 11 and 12 and we'll only have the finale to go. So we may, in two weeks' time, we may be sitting here telling you how awesome it was to see uh, Brenton Thwaites in the Nightwing costume for the first time. In the penultimate. Yeah, in the penultimate, yes. Uh, and we're by that stage, we will only be a week or so away from Crisis. You know what to say about Crisis. You need a good team around you. You need a good team around you. So until next time, super friends, I have been Neil. He has been Martin, dressed like Pikachu. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Bye. Bye.